This portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Factor. If you want to eat better this year and are looking for fast, healthy, restaurant-quality meals that are ready to eat and easy on your budget, Factor is the perfect solution. So head to factormeals.com slash TV50 and use code TV 50 to get 50% off your first month's order and 20% off your next month. That's factormeals.com slash TV50 and use code TV 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Hello, this is June Lockhart. You're listening to TV Confidential. Welcome to man's most magnificent achievement in the conquest of space. The man-made planetoid Space Academy, founded in the star year 3732. Ed Robertson, along with guest Joseph Doherty. Joseph Doherty, Emmy Award-winning writer, producer, and director, and the author of a new science fiction novel called The First Cylinder that draws inspiration from the famous invasion of Earth by Martians that H.G. Wells depicted in his classic novel, War of the Worlds. Only Joe tells the story from the perspective of the Martians. The First Cylinder is available right now through Fayetteville Mafia Press and Amazon.com. Dan Barron and Tony Figueroa are also with us. We're having some fun talking about some of our favorite obscure science fiction TV series. In our first segment, we talked about why time travel is a popular theme in science fiction television, as well as such science fiction novels as The Time Machine by H.G. Wells. We also started talking about some of our favorite science fiction shows from the 60s and 70s. Since we're still on the 70s, now, I, I should preface this by saying that I am someone who had never watched any of the Star Treks until he was 35 or 36 years old. And that was only because I was contracted to collaborate on a book that used Star Trek as a vehicle to introduce the great books and ethical theory. And But that was, I mean, I knew that Star Trek was part of the uh, zeitgeist. It's just that every time I sat down and watched it, uh, it was always the same episode, which is sitting on the edge of forever. Uh, that, so that, that was, I mean, I knew that, I knew that one, but every every time I watched it, it was that that was the one I watched. My list includes. Speaking of Jonathan Harris, there was a short-lived one-season live-action Saturday morning show done by Filmation oh, yeah. yes. called Space Academy. Space Academy. Yes. Yeah. Zachary Spun Smith. Off Jason of Starkman. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Correct. Correct. Zachary Smith, action hero. John, Jonathan Harris with the with perhaps the poofiest toop of his career, and if you've never seen him in anything else, it's a little you, you keep expecting him to do the Doctor Smith freak out, but he he does a good job as the father figure for this young team of student teenage astronauts, one of whom is Pamela Ferdin. Ferdin, yeah, yeah. I had the set, yeah. <laughs> I enjoyed it too. Yeah, no, it's it's a lot of fun, and it's a different side of Jonathan Harrison. And even though he chews the scenery, as he he cannot help but to choose the scenery, he does the best he can with the material he has. And there's a sort of he brings a sort of dignity to the show. And um, mm. uh, and the reason why he didn't follow it was renewed and repurposed as uh, what was it, Jason of Star Command. And, he, Jason Star, and you had James Dewan in the first season of Jason of Star Command taking over as the commander. Yes, yes. So that and and and, and I believe that had to do with um, money, uh, which is not which is not the first time Jonathan Harris barked, balked over money. But that's that's a story for another time. The, so, the other so, title that popped uh, into my, yes. 
Oh, and let you know this. Uh, I, I have a friend who worked on the very first, first Chuck Norris film, and here's something that not a lot of people know: Jonathan Harris was hired to teach Chuck Norris how to act while they were making this film. <laughs> really? And, yeah, go. And uh, my friend talks about it that Jonathan Harris would sit on the set and talk to Chuck Norris, and then they would go off to shoot the film. And while they were shooting, uh, Jonathan Harris would sit there and knit. And uh, he would turn to, to my friend and say, he's a lovely boy, but he just can't act. <laughs> oh, that, that makes me rethink Walker Tecker right now. I just put that knitting in there a little bit. Yeah. What was the other show in? Quark. Quark. That, that's, yeah, on my, that's on my list. Yes. I Richard have that ben- one. Richard Benjamin. Richard yeah. Benjamin, Benjamin, I believe it was created by Buck Henry. It was. Yeah. It, Buck yeah. Henry. Yeah. It is, hey, it is, they did it for spies. Maybe they can do it for space. It is as close to a dead-on parody of the original Star Trek as anything yes. else, with the possible exception of the original uh, SNL sketch with John Belushi and, <laughs> yeah. and Dan Aykroyd. And interesting thing, Gene Roddenberry reported, according to Mark Cushman, who is the Star Trek biographer to end all Star Trek biographers. According to Mark Cushman, Gene Roddenberry hated Quark because he (laughs) felt it mocked Star Trek. And he didn't understand that it was actually, you know, one of many things that that drew interest to Star Trek and showed that Star Trek was a viable part of our culture. And what's cool is it has many of the image uh, it has many of the original music cues it has many of the original sound effects uh on on, on the enterprise and okay it, it does have the buck henry like conceit and that instead of um uh commanding this you know grandiose space trip on a five-year mission to explore new worlds etc you know, Richard Benjamin as Adam Quark is leading a garbage gal. But he has two fabulous female assistants. Um, he has a uh, he has Richard, uh, what's his last name? Richard Kelton. Richard Kelton. Richard Kelton, great character actor, died uh, uh, way too soon as the, uh, as the Spock-like character Ficus. And you have uh, Conrad Janus a few years before Mork and Mindy. As Otto Palindrome, the commander in, of, 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 uh, of Quark. And Otto Palindrome, of course, is a very clever name because Otto O-T-T-O is itself a palindrome. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, I think, you know, I think the problem with, with, with Quark that, that I remember slightly is, is I, I think there wasn't enough steam in the premise for it to actually be something you'd want it was always going to be a sketch and i don't think people wanted to tune in for that i mean i mean it's, it's uh, and, and benjamin has been and benjamin is not that why is not that broad a comic um well he but i don't know i mean like it's like it's kind of like it's kind of like if you're gonna i mean i, I guess the question is like has there ever has there ever been a successful parody that can stand? Well, Seth MacFarlane, uh, recent. Well, I think I think Seth MacFarlane. The Orville. Quark. Yeah, he looked. Pro- I think he looked at Quark and said, "Well, this is what they did wrong," and I'll just I will go. I will actually go Galaxy Quest on them, and, and <laughs> then you know, and then all of a sudden you've got you're not just you're not just uh, bouncing uh, handballs off the wall. You're going someplace. You're going someplace new. 
with it. But I had I had Quark on my list from the seventies. Well, Quark, and... Quark was Quark was another one of those shows that um, had well two things. One had NBC not <laughs> been um, in last place at the time. Um, maybe it would have given it a little more uh, leg room to find an audience. Um, I, if memory serves, it was a Friday night show. I, I, I'm guessing it was up against Donnie and Marie or some other show, some other Friday night powerhouse well, fr- on Friday, ABC. Friday's kind of a gra- Friday was the graveyard. Yeah, yeah. At uh-huh. that time, not anymore. Although I, I said it, it only ran eight episodes broadcast. I think they filmed twelve or thirteen in total. Today, that would be considered a full season. Today, that would be considered a successful season. And certainly in the UK, that would be considered a successful series. Uh, I bring up what? I don't know. (laughs) I'm being cranky (laughs) now. I'm being cranky now because I'm a writer on strike. I don't know. (laughs) Doesn't sound like it's a good deal to me. Okay, okay, before before Tony jumps in again, we'll we'll pivot the subject and remind us that uh, Joe Doherty, the cranky <laughs> Emmy Award-winning writer, is also the author of The First Cylinder, brilliant science fiction novel that takes the premise of, of H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds and tells the story of the Mars invasion from the perspective of the Martians. The First Cylinder, available now, Fayetteville, Mafia Press, and Amazon.com. Stay with us, folks. We'll be right back. One more item if you want to eat better this year. Our friends at Factor are the perfect solution. They have more than 35 fresh, pre-prepared, chef-crafted, and dietitian approved meals, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, Keto, and Vegan and Veggie that are restaurant quality with such premium ingredients as filet mignon, shrimp, truffle butter, broccolini, and asparagus, and which are all ready to eat and ready to eat with no prepping, no cooking, and no cleanup necessary. Check it out yourself by going to factormeals.com forward slash talk TV 50. Astrid and I recently checked out some of Factor's keto selections, including their roasted tomato and feta cavatappi with broccoli and red peppers, and the garlic and herb roasted mushrooms, while their three bean chili with quinoa is just the right size for lunch. We also enjoyed their chocolate banana smoothies, which is just one of the more than 60 healthy and nutritious add-on options Factor provides that will help you fuel up and feel good all day, while best of all, Factor meals are less expensive than takeout. Head to factormeals.com slash talktv50 and use code talktv50 to get 50% off your first month's order and 20% off your next month. Factor Meals is celebrating Earth Day all throughout the month of April, so be sure to look for the Earth Month Eats badge on the menu for our lowest carbon footprint meals. Factor Meals is the perfect solution for fast, upscale, ready-to-eat meals. That's factormeals.com slash talktv50 and use code talktv50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Tony Figaro and Dan Farron are also with us, and we're having some fun talking about some of our favorite obscure science fiction movies and science fiction shows. Tony. Oh, I So I, I, let me ask you if this, first of all, if this counts, because I, I was a big fan. Not only was I a fan of you know science fiction of that, of that time, I was really interested in UFOs, and then Jack Webb has a series called Project UFO. It was really strange. It was, I, I watched, I haven't seen the second season. I, I watched the first season when it was new. I watched the first season again at the gym on my phone, and I never got to the second season. But 
you know, after, you know, a lot of Dragnet watching, which I did not watch Dragnet uh, when I was little. And, and keep in mind, I'm also of the age where if it was on TV and you were there to watch it, you watched it. There was no recording. There was no VCRs, literal DVRs or anything like that. So, you know, if there was some distraction or you were getting lectured by a parent, you, you missed the pivotal plot points. But uh, I just thought the show was cool at the time because it was two Air Force investigators investigating, hopefully, you know, yeah, it was like two Something guys. Something real, it was, yeah. yeah. It was kind of like two guys have Adam-12. I remember, the, for some reason, the thing I remember from the pilot episode was there there is a UFO incident, and they spent a couple of bucks on special effects, and they kind of yeah. had what had rapidly become the cliche of the overflight of, a, of an incredibly detailed John Dykstra kind of spaceship that had lots of German tank model parts glued on the <laughs> Incredibly detailed. It was, and then you were saying, I'm looking at a flying saucer. And then at the end of the episode, they came out and they said, no, it was swamp gas. Yes. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. There was one, you know, it was a little boy who claimed he saw a flying saucer. It set his kite on flyer. And the whole town wanted to cash in on the story. And they got uh, a kid who was very good at model making make a model. They took pictures of it. They 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 fooled a lot of people. The Air Force finally proved it to be a hoax. But they found <laughs> the little boy who saw you know and said, "No, this is what really happened." You know, he was flying his kite. The spaceship got too close. The kite caught on fire, landed on some power lines, and an alien came out and spoke in both a man and a, and a woman's voice, and he. You know, they reenact the whole story. He says goodbye. They drive off. He said, do you think the kid's telling the truth? Well, maybe he is. And you see the kite hanging from the power lines as they drive. Yeah, but, so they have but, those type but, of endings. But did they exchange insurance information? No, they didn't. <laughs> hey, I, no. just, I literally just thought of something, and I have to throw it in. My Living Doll. Oh, and Julie Newmar. Good, good ad, Joe. Thank you. Yeah, because let's fa- because there's nothing like sitting down and watching Bob Cummings. Uh, uh, <laughs> at least, at least, in, at least until apparently he got sick of her. That's that is what left. I understand. Yes. Yeah. Actually, you 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 bring to mind another question. The um, I'm, I'm blanking on the names, but the producers of my of my living doll were the same people who brought us my favorite Martian. Was it Chertok or Chertok? Uh, uh, I believe it's Chertok. Jack Chertok. Jack Chertok. But there's either a book or an article somewhere in my in the recess of, 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 of my mind called "What Would a Martian Think?" Uh, which, oh no! Is it? I think it's a Martian wouldn't oh, say that. Um, okay, a Martian, a Martian wouldn't, say that, wouldn't yeah. say that. That's the big. Thank you, yeah. Joe. And that is a quote attributed to Ray Walston during a discussion over a, one of the scripts of My Favorite Martian. And Ray Walston being, of course, an accomplished Broadway star, very accomplished actor. One might say he was lowering himself to do a network sitcom, but um, that was part of the appeal to get Ray Walston to do My Favorite Martian. And at one point, they were going over uh, a line in the, in the uh, read-around, and Walston reportedly said, we change that line, a Martian wouldn't say that. 
which begs the question, how would you know what a Martian would would, would say or wouldn't say, you know, when was the last time you've been to Mars? But I, I, I immediately thought of that line, Joe, when I was when I was thinking about the premise of your book, because you take that and then some. Oh, I, as far as I'm concerned, they, they basically talk the way I want them. Yeah, Mar- my Martians talk like guys I know, so. <laughs> but no, I remember, it's interesting, we, we kind of, we, we kind of glossed over the, the fact that there Oh my lord! There's my favorite Martian, which was I think it was like about four years. Yes. So that's yeah. that's kind of unqualified success. Um, I watched the pilot; it's a little dodgy, a couple, you know. But you've also got, oh lord, it's the same. It's chair. It's that same producer. What was the title of the one of the cavemen and the astronauts? Oh, it's about time. It's, it's about, about time. time. It's about time. Yeah, that, that's sure. It's about shorts. space. It's about two men in the strangest place. Yes. Yeah. As far as long with with Imogene Coca, and that's a show basically. Joey Ross, and they went and they went they went back in time in their space capsule, and the show just wasn't going anywhere, so they came back. Yeah, for the last half of the season, and and it's again, it's like you can see the picture. They're cavemen, and they're here. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) No. Then what happens? Speaking of shows, science fiction shows that had a wonderful idea, then didn't work, and then they were... Battlestar Galactica was supposed to be, what, a, a miniseries? They're going to have, like, a, a three-hour episode every couple of months, and then somebody said, no, we're going to do it weekly. And then it's like, oh, well, now we got to come up with 24 episodes. And and they're way over budget, and uh, it was I think it was, like, a million dollars an episode when a million dollars was yeah. a lot of money. Yeah, they and, were throwing money at it, yeah. Yeah, and, and but the one that another one that I have on my list is the spinoff Galactica 1980. So once they canceled the show, and they realized that they made a mistake canceling the show, they said, "Can we do it again?" <laughs> Was it always because now because because the the most recent reboot wasn't playing in the same ballpark? No, as the first shows. No one. No, like, so you know, another one was the original V. I thought yes. that was just, okay. yeah. that's good. I thought that was really, really nervy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it got then, a little or it got a little Irwin Allen, mm-hmm. but it was such a great premise, and it was and it was sinister in its way. It was yes. talking about it was talking about colonization in ways that yeah, that you know that was I mean again it's, like, it's it's that's really you know the conventional wisdom now is H. G. Wells is writing about British colonial colonialism. I can drink and drive, um, <laughs> but thank you. But that's the other thing: is that science fiction, if it's prime, usually or often can talk about today in more open terms. If Silent Green were a good movie, we could talk about that, but it's just not, <laughs> uh, and, it's, and it's a shame because it's Richard Fleischer who. Who's bona fides for science fiction and and film noir and anything else you want to shake a stick at are pretty grand. But it's like I mean, there was that run there in the set. I guess it was from Planet of the Apes in 1968. There was the run of well, Chuck Heston's a sci-fi actor. Yeah, yeah. And we'll just put him in some of the worst science fiction movies ever made. Mega Man. Omega Man. Yeah. With a bu- number one with a bullet. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> 
And the crazy thing is, it's a beautiful novel by Richard Matheson, and it is yeah. not a bad Italian film. No, Vincent Price. And it's a very sad film too. It's a very yeah. sad film. Yeah. Joseph Doherty is with us via Zoom. Joseph Doherty, Emmy Award-winning writer, producer, and director, and the author of the breakout science fiction novel, The First Cylinder. Dan Farron and Tony Figueroa are also with us. We hope you'll stay with us as we continue our conversation here on TV Confidential. Be part of our conversation. If you like what you hear, have thoughts on this week's program, or have an idea for a future edition of TV Confidential, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at talk tvconfidential.net talk at tvconfidential.net you can also message us at facebook.com forward slash tvconfidential x.com forward slash tvconfidential or at tvconfidential on instagram and if you're listening to us on the tv confidential podcast please be sure to hit the subscribe button This portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty, the community of realtors in the Northern Bay area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first-time homebuyer or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call Karen Strain at 415-886-7411 or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com for more information on how they can help you.